There's about four of us. It was really good. No, there was, there was, a, there was a good crowd of people. It was fantastic. But uh, thanks to all those guys for putting all the effort in. And who loves the cross? How's that? Um, better than the old iron ones that I used to put up, the uh, corrugated iron that I used to carve out. I thought it was so artistic and so good, but they've superseded me with electronic versions now. But that's okay. We're going to uh, just pray before I preach this morning. So why don't you bow your heads with me and just going to ask that, uh, that we are open to the Holy Spirit this morning. So Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you begin to soften our hearts, cause the, the, the flow of the Spirit to soften the hardness in our hearts, that we may receive a seed that can grow. So we just pray in the name of Jesus right now that our hearts may be fertile soil for your word to settle in, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for it this morning? I've got to find my little thing here. Okay. The ultimate showdown is what I've titled the message this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 10. Uh, sorry, John 20 verses 1 to 10. And uh, I'll read it out to you. I haven't got the whole scripture up there on the screen, but I'll read it out to you. So if you have your Bibles or have it on your phone or whatever, you can read along with me. It's from the New Living Translation. It says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put it. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrapping uh, lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. So this morning, today, this day, really ought to be known as Resurrection Day. Jesus overcame death and he left the grave empty. And that is our great hope as Christians. That, that is the whole central reason why we do church services every, every week, everywhere all around the world as, as a Christian church is because Jesus rose from the dead. There is no other reason for, for doing church. There's no other reason that church exists except for that central point that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, he, he purchased things on the cross in his death for us, but the, the main power, the main, the, the main uh, force of the Christian message is Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose himself from the dead. Jesus not only shed his blood and died, but he proved his authority, he proved his power over all things by raising himself from the dead. And that's what we are here to uh, especially consider this morning. And if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, I know there are a lot of visitors here, we well, want to say a really big uh, welcome to you. And maybe you haven't been in church for a long time uh, or you haven't been in a service like this and you might have seen some things that you're not used to. Um, that's just our, our way of worshipping God. So um, hopefully that's okay with you. Um, 
If you're here on Friday, I spoke on um, Jesus' trial and the innocence of Jesus uh, and the unfairness of his trial um, and how in all of that, God made it possible for us to be in right relationship with the Father through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we looked at that word atonement that we, that we used and we split that up in, and how it is uh, spelt and, and it's at one And what Jesus did on the cross was made a way that we could be at one with the Father. He brought us into that place of one And Jesus uh, made that relationship possible when in every other circumstance it's impossible because of the things that block us from our spiritual Father. Some of those things are sin and hardness of heart. But um, it goes a bit further, I think, as God's purpose in what Jesus did on the cross was to not only correct the, the um, broken relationship that mankind had with God, but it goes even further to help fix the broken relationships that we have with each other. Wouldn't that be awesome if the church had the relationships right? If our husbands and wives had relationships right? Uh, if, if parents and children had the relationships right? Because so often we, we bring our brokenness into every other relationship we have. You know, they, they talk about in relationship um, things uh, that people often bring the baggage from their past relationships. So they, they might have a, bro, uh, uh, you know, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend from the past and there was, there was a bit of hurt, there's a bit of pain going on. And then that, they close that down, they shut that door and they go saying, well, that was the problem was all because of them. And then they, they enter a new relationship and suddenly... The baggage is there. It's like it's somehow connected. And you start to reproduce the things that, that you didn't like in the other relationship there. Or, or, or you have this barricade around you saying, well, because you, you, you know, you're new, but I've still got the hurt and the pain from my last experience or experiences from the past, you don't let anyone really get close enough. And then there's all kinds of more relationship and more brokenness that comes from that. And so, so Jesus... You know, is interested in us having that reconnection back to God, but he's also accomplished on the cross that we can reconnect better and properly with everybody else around us in this earth. I think that's the best part. So that we can be at one. One heart church, we are called to unity and purpose together. And uh, we, we always need to work on that unity. Because it, it, it takes such a small thing to cause people to be disuni disunified. Is that a word? It is now. Put it in the dictionary. See, the ultimate showdown, Jesus took on every evil, every sin that, it, that bears upon us. And he bore it upon his, upon his body on the cross and he died with those things in his body. And he buried them permanently. When, when he was buried, put in the tomb, all those things, all the, every evil, every sin, every, every act of wickedness was put upon his body. And all that died. And the best part, it was left behind in the grave. When he rose from the dead, he rose without that stuff. So it was buried. It was put somewhere. It was, it was dealt with. And we need to, we need to um, hopefully today, discover how you can um, 
appropriate that in your own life by saying, Jesus, all these things that, that I have that, that are like baggage attached to me that I can't seem to be free of, hopefully today you can be free and let those things go. Because he left those things behind when he rose from the grave. And we need to tell ourselves when evil rises around us, when sin wants to dominate us, and I use that, that, that term um, today, you might think, well, what is sin? Well, sin is anything that, block it, that blocks us from good relationships. And you might think, well, I've got a bad relationship with this or that person because they've been a jerk to me. You know what? It's actually sin arises in your heart as well. And, and um, we can't stop people being jerks but we can stop bitterness arising in our heart. And that's what we need to have a sweetness in our spirits about life. So we need to tell ourselves when evil rises around us, when sin wants to dominate us, we've got to say no, because Jesus Christ has buried that. And that's not going to control me. But I want Jesus to control my destiny. So Jesus to control my, my joy factor. Just, to, just want to give you a little bit of a, um, a history lesson so that we can understand why Jesus died upon the cross. So there's a, a scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And it says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, this is going right back to the people of Israel, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So there is freedom and liberty um, when anybody receives the good news of Jesus, when they receive the resurrection power, every evil stronghold is dealt with. Sometimes we, we don't realise that, but it is. And we need, to, we need to discover how we can have victory over the, the, the issues of life by claiming the blood of Jesus Christ over us. So um, some of the famous showdowns from the Bible, and you know, if you're aware of these stories, I'll, I'll give you just a brief description so I won't go into them in depth. But uh, there, there were showdowns that we read of and learn about in the Bible where it's, it's the ultimate story of, of the devil and God, or evil and good. And uh, some, some of those stories, I'm going to give you uh, three. At Egypt, the devil lost. So if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, um, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And God spoke to Moses and said, go, go to Egypt, take my people out so they can uh, go to the promised land. You can read the story yourself in Exodus 12. But all I want to say on that, just keeping it really simple, is at, in Egypt, when it came to the people of Israel, the devil lost. And the next, the next situation, oh, hang on, I just need to say this before we move on. God used the blood of lambs to break Egypt's domination of Israel. Because you know, they, they had all the plagues, um, that there, was, there was a plague of uh, flies, a river was turned to blood, all this sort of stuff. And then at the very end, God said, I'm going I'm to um, destroy all the firstborn males in Egypt unless they've got blood from a lamb on the doorpost of their house You'll be spared, but if you haven't, then every firstborn's going to die. So God spared every single person who had the blood on their door of their house. So God used the blood of lambs to break Egypt's domination of Israel. 
And, and what God was doing, he's, he's preparing a, a principle in the spirit, which we don't always understand in our natural thinking, that helps us to understand the sacrifice and the power that Christ had. So the blood of lambs preserved the firstborn males in all the Jews or uh, the Israelites' homes in that time. But God won and the devil lost. At Carmel, you might know, oh sorry, Carmel's there. At Carmel, we, see, we hear the story of, of Mount Carmel and the, the, the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There's one prophet who's, who's a God, God's man. He's, he's the believer in God and he prophesies about the future and about what's happening. And there's, there's all these others, hundreds of prophets of Baal, which is a, a, an idol god. And he's a little bit outnumbered there, but they have a showdown on Mount Carmel. And uh, you can find that story in 1 Kings chapter 18. You can read it all for yourself. But God, at the, in that case, God used the blood of a bull to break the power of idol worship and the three-year-long drought that had been devastating the land. The blood, again, of sacrifice broke the deadlock and the devil lost again. In both cases, there was sacrifice of blood that altered the spiritual conditions, that altered the power of balance in the spiritual world. Now, if God could use the, that, that blood from an animal to change something spiritual, then we need to realize that there's something that we can apply that when it comes to the blood of Jesus and the spiritual conditions in which we choose to live. Is that making sense? Because it's, it's, it's really weird concepts if you don't understand some of the foundational backgrounds of why it is. But the ultimate showdown is at Calvary and the devil lost again. In John chapter 19, we, we've seen how the devil lost because Jesus didn't stay dead. And I've got, I've got a personal theory here. And I believe that the devil didn't really realize what he was doing when he crucified Jesus. I think he thought, we've got him. We've nailed him. We've put him away. I've killed God. But you know what? That was the very act that Jesus needed to bring salvation to every single human being that will ever live. Jesus at the cross is the ultimate showdown and the devil lost. God used the blood of Jesus to break every curse, to dismantle every scheme of the devil forever for all people, everywhere, for all time. And Jesus proved his dominion by rising from the dead. So we don't have the, the tomb of Jesus to go to. You know, there's lots of famous people around, uh, lots of significant people, and, and nearly every time you'll find that there's, there's a, a place where they're buried, a place where their remains rest. But you know what? You'll never find that with Jesus. And that's why I think it's, it's really amazing that as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to do a pilgrimage to somewhere to, to, to see the bones because they're not there. In fact, God doesn't... Uh, sorry, 
I just want to move on and just touch on something because it's a question that many people have that, that blocks them from understanding and having that fullness of relationship with God. Now, here's a big question. And, and to those of you who don't know me, I've spent many, many years in the construction industry and I've heard every argument. I've heard every, every reason why we can't accept Jesus, why we can't believe in God. And one of those things that, that often people will say is why does a loving God send people to hell? Oh, this is suddenly changing tactics here, isn't it? It's okay. But that's a big question many people have. Even believers sometimes struggle with this. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Why would a loving God even have hell? We won't answer that question this morning, but we will answer the first one. You need to, you need to really understand this because in fact, God doesn't send people there. God, God has never sent anyone to hell, but people choose that direction. People choose for themselves that final destiny. And by the way, to answer the question, why is there a hell? Because hell was created as part of the fall of humankind. Part of the rebellion against heaven, then hell came into being. It was a place for the, the, the rebellion against God in heaven that created Sin and the fall of mankind and all that stuff. Different story, but we won't go into all that today. But hell is a place with no God. Hell is a place with no influence from God. Hell is a place where there is no presence of God. Hell represents ultimate separation from God. No connection to God whatsoever in hell. Hell is chosen by an attitude in the heart that says, I don't want God. And there are many, many have that, that kind of attitude. I don't want God. And if there is a God, well, I, I, I don't want to know him. I, I, I don't want him in my life. I, I, you know, he must be a tyrant, so I don't want to know. And hell is chosen by that attitude in the heart that says, I don't want God. Hell is chosen. Everyone has a choice not to go there. Did you realize that? We have a choice not to, not to go there. But this is what God says about people. This is the encouraging part here now. Because we, you know, we have formed ideas about who God is and what God's like. And we think of things like heaven. We think of things like hell. We think of things and say, well, why would God do this? And we think of suffering in the world. And we think of all these other questions. And say, why does God let that happen? The same reason why you can choose to have Cocoa Pops or Wheat Bix for breakfast is the same reason why we live in a broken down world. Because God gives humankind's choice. And if you think God's unfair, then, then you've got to say, well, God, thank you for giving me choice. One Samuel 14, 14. This is one of my favorite scriptures. You've all heard my unfavoritist, but this is my favorite. It says, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Here's a revelation, everybody. You're going to die. So uh, this, is, this is something we need to know as a church because sometimes when someone dies in church, that really shatters the church world. We should say our hope is in Jesus Christ and we're going to die. Sometimes we don't, we don't know when or don't know why, but we're going to die. And when that time comes, we say, God, you didn't want me to be separated from you, but you want to draw me back to yourself. And we need to have a balanced theology on death. Turn to someone and say, you're going to die. 
Now, don't get too excited. Check the next bit. Okay, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. That's messing up my thing, think, thing of God. But that's not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. It's mean he's, he's wanting to bring people back to himself. And it's through Jesus, God devised a way to the Father. The ultimate showdown was on the cross. In Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 4 and 12, uh, sorry, 4 verse 12, it says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And in Romans 3, verse 22, it says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And I want to uh, just ask you this morning, is have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? What Jesus came for, he accomplished to bring estranged people back to God. To bring people who are broken by the conditions of this world. But to bring us back into right relationship with the Father that in turn causes us to bring ourselves into right relationship with other people that, that makes the world a better place. That makes the world better than what it is without God. So this morning... I know there are people here today and you're at that point of God's ultimate showdown in your life where you're thinking, well, coming to that place where I need to make a decision and let God in. If we could just bow our heads right now this morning and this is, this is personal time for people. You could be here and yeah, you find yourself here because you do want to make things right in your life. Well, that begins by opening your heart to Jesus and believing he died for your sin. Perhaps we can, in our own personal way right now, in our own personal time, ask Jesus to forgive you right now. Say it in your own way. Have that conversation with the Lord. I'll just give you a couple of seconds to think about that. If you've made that prayer for the first time this morning and you're thinking, Lord, I want to I get things right. I want to believe in Jesus. I want you to deal with my sin. I want you to deal with the baggage that has attached itself to my life. No one's looking around. It's personal, but just for my sake, if you want to say, hey, I, I, I responded, why don't you just give me a nod or wave your hand or something and I'll see that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bible says that those who put their faith in Jesus pass from death to life. The old is gone and the new has begun. I believe God has started something new in many people's lives this morning. 
Can I encourage you with one last thought from Hebrews again? You can open your eyes now. It says, So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain, curtain into the most holy place. So the ultimate showdown, Jesus took on every evil, every sin, and bore it upon himself on his body on the cross. And he died with those things, burying them permanently. All that past died and was left behind when he rose from the grave. And we need to tell ourselves that over and over again. To say, Jesus, I want to live in that freedom. Because God is faithful and just to take you to a better future. I'm just going to ask if you can just stand with me this morning. And if you feel comfortable to, you, you know, there's no obligation here, but if you feel comfortable to, just to put a hand on someone else's shoulder nearby, and I'm going to pray a prayer and believe that today something significant may take part in your life, that you can be free and enter new levels of understanding, new levels of freedom in life, free of the baggage. You might not be able to change someone else's ways. You, you may not be able to change the attitude of other people that you know, but you can change saying, you know what? I'm not going to live bound by the baggage anymore. So dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for every single person here this morning. I thank you, God, for the destiny and the future and the plans you have for us are good. And Lord, I just pray as we stand together today, a bond of unity, a bond of peace may be established here in this place. And we thank you, Lord God, for you have an eternal purpose and you have an eternal reason for our lives. And I pray from this moment on that we'll see people's lives turned around, changed, set free, released of the baggage. And I pray in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, church. You can take your seats.